It's time for Off the Record, On the Rocks. Each episode, Michael Toner and Ankarina Lara break down the latest news on all things Web3, AI, Metaverse, and crypto, filtering out noise and connecting dots as we pour ourselves into the future. All right, everybody, welcome back to another Off the Record, On the Rocks with my good friend, Mr. Ankarina Lara. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. Today, I'm putting on my green falling down the rabbit hole money hat because I feel like Alice in Wonderland with all these regulators going crazy these last few weeks. Alice in Wonderland with some wonderlust. We've got Apple, iPhone 15 announcements uh, under this wonderlust branding, this message about where the iPhone 15 is going to take you. There's been a ton of stuff happening in the past week. You've got Google antitrust uh, case moving forward. You've got Tons of legislation on Capitol Hill from Elizabeth Warren and others trying to bring CBDCs and not to mention all the Bitcoin spot ETFs still happening in the background and then a bunch of weird FUD uh, that we'll get to. But we'll start with Apple off the top. Uh, It's hard to miss. You know, we cover Apple. We talk a lot about their position in the market, their dominance in the so-called metaverse. But really, when you think about what they're in control of in terms of the hardware, the software, the experience, my banking environment. What did Apple bring to bear? Uh, Spatial video was the term for me that really stood out of making this new environment, this new metaverse world, whatever we're going to call it, made it really easy to understand. Nobody's sitting here questioning, what's spatial video? Oh, what's that? Oh, what's the definition of spatial video? Nobody. Nobody's saying that. It's self-explanatory. What's your hot take, uh, Apple Keynote, coming out of Cupertino? I mean, uh, we talked about it last time. They had their worlds, Discover Worlds, uh, with the Vision Pro. And we were listening for the words that they weren't saying out loud. And I think you did a great job of listening for that. Because I was a little bit as a casual. I had to do a few other things while I was watching. So I wasn't paying super close attention. I went back and watched it again. And the spatial video, right? How does Apple what does Apple do so well? They basically teach you about concepts. They, they educate you without telling you the name of the concept. So they don't need to say XR. They don't need to say AR. They don't need to say AI. They said all that last time. We heard what spatial audio can do wearing these new AirPod Pros. We heard it. What is spatial audio? Well, listen, I'll show you. You can listen to it. Now, well, here's that same thing I just taught you about a few years ago, but now it's video. And like you said, Oh, the leap is great. The one that I got from me, though, is um, there was one good gentleman, one product guy who was talking about the use case for all these new uh, 60 frame per second graphic upgrades and all these new things coming to the iPhone, which, of course, spatial video, it needs to have these upgraded processors to run the video on the phone, which allows them now to play all these great games. But as he was talking, it was almost like it was dubbed in like one of those Simpsons Krusty the Clown episodes where he says something like beautiful rendering of light full 60 frames per second for playing your favorite games and AR experience it. it like it was cut in just like that and he said it once he said AR experiences and I was like oh that's weird it's like someone dubbed it in afterwards but yeah to me you got it nailed spatial video it's the spatial thing we'll video is one and and yes I think nobody teaches us better than Apple they like to to really show us first then tell us what it is we're going to want to buy from them I mean you think about 
you know, even these headphones, right? These I'm wearing mine with the, the cord in them. At first, nobody thought that they were going to want to use this. Now it's it's ubiquitous. Same thing with, with the AirPods. Same thing with the Apple Watch. Two quick hot takes. One, the other thing that broke through was the double tap feature, which they combined and they talked about um, when they were describing the Apple Watch functionality. So this is a, a new feature within the Apple ecosystem. When you're wearing an Apple Watch, uh, you're going to be able to put your hand out into the middle of the air and with two taps of your fingers, you can create an action. It could be prompting Siri. It could be loading your camera. It could be opening up a search window. It could be loading your Apple wallet. I don't know exactly all of the capabilities of what you're going to be able to do with that double tap feature. But what I do know is that they are now introducing a new behavioral UX UI functionality, a new a new motion. Think about swiping. Nobody talked about that years ago. Now that's a natural behavior. Uh, we all understand how that works. The haptic motion within the Apple Watch. A lot of people have gotten familiar with that. Now, think about this. You're going to be able to tap in thin air so that the moment you get to Apple Vision Pro and now you need some sort of physical input. There's not a, a, a keyboard. There's not a mouse. So you're going to need this kind of haptic feedback to be able to double tap on something. So another really solid example of Apple showing us teaching us using the Apple Watch so that when we get to Apple Vision Pro, this won't be a net new behavior. Instead, this will be something that we're already familiar with. So I uh, can't wait to, to get mm. my first double taps in. That's a great one. And one of the other underlying things I thought was interesting, and maybe this is thinking too far ahead or thinking too deep into it, but then again, it's Apple, right? Nothing's a mistake. But they spent a good, what was it, 30, 40 minutes just on sustainability, recycled materials, oh, yeah. carbon footprint, like first Apple device um, with titanium or Apple iPhone with titanium, but the titanium and all the rare earth metals are 100% renewed. Or There, there was a, a lot of info yeah. that came really heavy and hard. It was the green wave, I'll call yes. it. That's made by my hat's green too. But that started thinking to myself, hmm, why now? Why? Because why? we always knew, right? This is sustainably designed in California, maybe like, not so sustainably built in China or whatever, but like they keep telling the story about how it's all nice and healthy. Well, what else has always had that negative optics about environment? Cryptocurrency. <laughs> so it makes me wonder, are they trying to just smooth out, out the ahead. chop on the surface? Get out ahead. So when Goldman and Apple with the new wallet in the Vision Pro world where I go like this, and I just double tap my fingers and send you 25 bucks for bowling through my Venmo hot, whatever, <laughs> that I we're all like, no, no, no. None of this is environmentally damn Carbon damaging. neutral it's payments. Fully, it was a t carbon neutral <laughs> double tap in the air. So I feel like that's something to watch for as we come out of it because that was an unusual large upfront segment, which feels like we're paving the way for something new. I really do agree. And I also look for really some small signals in that, which is it's the first time I've seen Apple – They've done this with the privacy lock and the Apple mm. logo. Well, they'll put the lock over top of it, the green leaf. I mean, you referenced it, but it was visually there on the screen, mm -hmm. the stem coming off of the Apple becoming a green. I mean, you've never seen color introduced into the Apple logo like that. So talk about really putting a big, big rubber stamp on that. And then back to the privacy um, with the announcements of the new phone, all the new hardware, the pre-orders going out, big giant push right now to uh, update to iOS 17 and the narrative just pumping the waves anywhere you go to look uh, and everybody's going to get prompted on their device to up up 
update to iOS 17. It's all about privacy. It's all about consumer protection. Uh, things like removing tracking URLs off of mail messages inside of Apple Mail. And, and why do you think they're doing that? Well, of course, Apple has your best interest. They want to protect you and make sure that your data is private uh, and owned just by you in a secure enclave inside the device, right? That's that's how they talk about those kinds of things. Uh, but yeah. this has huge implications and is riding right on the coattails of the Google antitrust. Uh, so Same moving, day. Same yeah, day, move, right? They were in court during Wanderlust. Moving us ahead here, you've got the big search giant, the two behemoths. Here's Google out there talking about Wanderlust, pumping iOS 17 and protecting Apple, your Apple. privacy. Sorry. And, and Google <laughs> uh, having to go to court over antitrust uh, uh, fears that they were basically forcing folks to install Google as the main search engine or forcing Android on new devices. What's your take here on the Google antitrust lawsuit? Well, the timing of it, I mean, right? If Apple's holding Wanderlust it, on an H, and this is like, they can pick any day they want, any Tuesday. They picked the Tuesday that they knew that their biggest competitor or one of them was going to court over something that I think you and I with a straight face both know, and I think everyone in the room knows, they did do. This is something that has been done for decades, right? We go, I rewind back to my first Web One days, the turn of the century. And this was back when Yahoo was doing deals with PC manufacturers to ship new computers to people, new desktop computers, which would have an icon for Yahoo Finance and Yahoo News right there on the desktop the way that AOL would try to ship with installs. Like everyone had this way of shipping with the install ready to go. Well, time passes and it doesn't become so easy. And here's Google finally being dragged back from what, 13, 14 years ago behavior saying, hey, you went to these different carriers of uh, makers of phones and computers and said, we're the default. They talked about being the default. And yeah, at the time I didn't care. I don't think you cared, right? Because Google was pretty darn good. I didn't like using it anyway. Yeah. I didn't like Bing, so I'm like, fine, bring it in there. <laughs> so Google's defense is we're the we were the best, and no one else wanted Yahoo and Bing. <laughs> That's like they're literally their defense. And the government's like, well, but you never gave Yahoo and Bing a chance. So what's I don't know which is right. But for me, the timing of it's perfect because look, you just mentioned this new Apple privacy, this new the enclave, right? It used to be called. Let's not forget Facebook before it was Meta used to be referred to as the walled garden. Mm. That people like the idea of that, right? Now, then the question is, well, what's Apple gonna say? You can't say garden. Can you say cloister? That's no, too religious. Can you say <laughs> cul-de-sac? Well, no, that's too like bougie and French and it speaks to fancy neighborhoods. But we can say enclave because <laughs> even pirates, I think, had an enclave. Anyone can. So now we're saying, oh, well, in this new environment that we're gonna push on our handsets, by the way, this handset's your, your passage to the metaverse, we're not going to let anybody track anything. And when I say anybody, I also mean Google. And if their number one business is AdSense and sponsored search and tracking users' behavior to serve up better ads wherever they are on the web, following cookie trails and this and that and the other thing. And if we know they used to have 95% ad search revenue, making up their entire revenue, and that's dwindled now over the years to pick the number. They won't say publicly 50, 55, 60%. I don't know. Maybe still a small majority. But this is going to erode massively as soon as these new, the new iOS hits everybody's phones. Because suddenly you're going to start getting targeted ads that literally mean nothing to you. And it's, then you're going to ignore, ignore, ignore. 
this is from The Verge, the case against Google is relatively straightforward and also potentially explosive. I love that. Uh, the Justice Department argues that around 2010, Google began using anti-competitive tactics to maintain an overwhelming search engine monopoly uh, already dominant over alternatives like Bing and Yahoo. Uh, it also talks about they included paying Apple and Mozilla to make Google the default engine in Safari. And when you load Safari on that iPhone, the first thing that pops up is a Google search window. So yep. that's super interesting. This power of defaults is cited uh, in this case, the U.S. versus Google. And, and you know, what does that mean if Google is making the default or if Apple, in this case, as the hardware manufacturer on the iPhone, is now making the Google software a default? Yeah, this seems to have a lot of implications. And I really think it's probably going to come back around to really this idea of self-custody of my assets. And I know that's a big, giant leap. But if I'm logging into my Apple device with my phone, with my optic ID, uh, I want I want to set the defaults based on my personal preferences, and Apple doesn't need to know what those are, right? I should be able to install Mozilla or DuckDuckGo if I want to. I could set the defaults. It could be associated with my optic ID, and Apple shouldn't be the one making that decision, or in this case, Google, uh, in this U.S. versus Google case, shouldn't be making that decision about what the default is. Uh, so super, super interesting to see what the implications of this will be uh, in terms of that default. And you have seen a lot of DuckDuckGo ads uh, yeah. going around. I'm about, to go, I'm about to go dust off my Ask Jeeves, my old <laughs> app on my iPad 1. Where running. is Jeeves? Where is he? <laughs> Ask Siri where Jeeves went. But I mean, I think what you're talking about with the digital asset too, about just about ownership of it, I think it really, we want to talk about painting way, way back. When Apple talks privacy and security and protecting you and me and the retail person, when Google is being accused of sort of breaching the trust of the consumers, right? It's an antitrust case, meaning you can't trust these guys because they're doing all these things to lead you down certain ways. And of course, we're in a position now too where all these iOS devices are connected, right? So you and me, we're not on our first iOS device. I'd actually hate to go back and really count what number iOS device I am owning currently or how many are in my house. But that's all to say that unless you're turning on your phone and your Apple ID and everything for the first time today or whatever you get your new iPhone, that's the only time you're actually setting defaults because everything else just pulls in all your preferences that are already been set. So the interesting about this is it's something that's like, yeah, I guess 13 years ago, that was a weird thing that happened to me. But today I don't even think about it as a consumer. So just also to me shows the the length of time it will take, the kind of legislation that's made to, to bridge us into other digital assets is they're right this last two weeks to bring us back to like digital dollars, CBDCs, Bitcoin, the oversight of the SEC and all the government officials who have opinions about it. If you listen to the rhetoric, every single one of them, no matter whether they're Democrats or Republicans or even the chairs of these these appointed positions themselves, they all speak about protection and security and doing right by the American citizen and the retail investor. It's the same words, but now let's look, take pen back maybe just to, talk, just to jump over here into, into this sort of legislation land. I mean, what's your take just on the, the macro view of the fact that Tom Emmer, who's a Republican separate from McHenry, who's a Republican separate from Warren, who's a Democrat, separate from just the general GOP who doesn't like that, like 
it feels like everyone has a, a they want to bully someone and they want to take control of something. How do you who do you think is going to win and who's the who are the real players here? Well, I, I think it is. I'll I'll actually stick on the Google and then I'll I'll also move the conversation forward to the SEC and and crypto regulation. But I think it is a story of the narratives right now because I'm I'm even looking at this um, uh, this CNN business article and it was the the Google president of global affairs Kent Walker said this is a backwards looking case at a time of unprecedented innovation, quote including breakthroughs in AI, new apps, new services. Um, it's easy to switch your default search engine, but we're long past the area of dial-up internet and CD-ROMs. It is fascinating <laughs> that you've got this this president of global affairs, you know, saying very honestly that we're in this age of AI and we're talking about generative, you know, AI and, and instant real-time payments. And here's this case talking about the installation of, you know, default search engines on your, your device. But it does, I think, have implications for who owns these these new mechanisms for commerce if i if apple ends up owning the hardware and they own the optic id and they set the defaults then isn't that going to put them in a really interesting position when it comes to apple pay and which bank rails i end up using and which tokens it ends up getting processed on and i think that's where you're now seeing congress start to catch up with You've got Representative Tom Ember, uh, Tom Emmer, sponsoring this amendment to limit the SEC's crypto oversight. So he's saying that that we need to limit the SEC's, uh, uh, you know, digital asset enforcement until there are comprehensive rules and regulations that are being implemented. And then you also mentioned you've got uh, Senator Warner. Uh, Marking up some uh, on September 20th, the House Financial Services Committee will mark up two bills blocking a potential digital dollar in the U.S. So we've got CBDC, uh, and and then I'm looking for for Warren's bill. But yeah, all these all these legislation now moving through. We've been talking a lot about Gensler. So yeah, this case of Google it, it does look like it's looking in the rearview mirror, but I think it does have relevant implications for oh, who's going right. to who's going to own these rails. Well, and also the it's the precedent, right? Because everyone refers to precedent and how when the SEC went and like got a settlement uh, against Library, if you remember the LBRY token, and how everyone thought, well, this is such a weird small guy to go after, but obviously it's about establishing a cadence of court. Um, decisions that establish a precedent because I don't know this guy Walker sounds like he's a bit of a troll in the way he's talking about you know AOL and dial-up and how we're looking backwards like let's be fair in 2010 when they're accusing these guys of this antitrust the iPhone was out like this isn't dial-up right <laughs> so he's, he's definitely being a little generous with his elaboration but that's all to say that like you said if, if Apple is going to pick a partner to do its banking and pick Goldman Sachs and it's going to start to do default things like maybe choose a default CBDC, God forbid there would be some some plurality of central bank digital currency CBDCs, and Apple would have to not be able to just pick the one that's their friend because it somehow would be anti-competitive. So being a default can mean a lot of things. It just so happens to be talked about in the search term, a default search engine. Well, what happens when there is a default CBDC and a default layer two? and a default DAP and a default this and a default whatever, everyone's going to be fighting to be what that what is auto-included in this ecosystem, right? So I think what's fascinating is the narratives are now being confused because out of one side of someone's mouth, we're hearing CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. And if you look at the articles about who likes it and who doesn't, 
Well, the CBDCs seem to be liked by the Democrats. Who doesn't like it? The Republicans. What are the Republicans like? They just like Bitcoin. They don't like oversight. They want the technology. So when Tom Emmer comes in bashing the, the SEC as a Republican, he's saying, hey, all of this crypto stuff was supposed to be about deciding whether or not these companies had the rights to manage finances, to, to, to actually take customer money and transport it. I think it's called a money transit entity or whatever the term is. And what he's saying is, hey, SEC, they're not all doing what you're saying. They're not all transferring money around. Most of these companies are just technology and you are punishing innovation by lumping everyone together, not understanding it well. So that's kind of like you have one guy saying, hey, SEC, back off. But then you have the GOP taking on the Federal Reserve and going on about how, well, digital dollar and CBDC, it's like, look guys, the CBDC, the digital dollar exists. It's called USDC and the federal government with Fed now is using it. It's not like it's an if, it is, it is <laughs> happening. So they're up here talking like it's not real. They're talking yeah. as if CBDCs are still this thing to decide us something on. But meanwhile, the federal government is just doing it. And guess what? The Fed is never wrong, right? Like the federal government or the federal the reserve never gets in trouble with the federal government, right? Because they are always right. So for anyone to be up here making bills about how CBDCs are not going to happen and the digital dollar needs to go, it's like, but it's already here. Right. And the Fed said it is. So shut and up. And so then the other last one, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's down on the list, but Citibank, it was this week, you know, uh, debuts token service and latest foray into digital assets on Bloomberg. I mean, I think most retail investors, most people walking down the street have seen Citibank. And here you've got them stepping into digitizing customer deposits. So yeah, to your point, it already is happening. We know these banks are creating real-time payment rails. They're relying on CBDCs. They're, they're creating these new tokenized mech services, basically, both for their institutional customers as well as for the retail investors like you and I. And we haven't even gotten back to the ETFs. So yeah, it is strange uh, that the, well, I think no, they're just trying to get Patrick, a hold on who's going to run and, it. And and Patrick McHenry, remember, this is the guy in the little bow tie who was grilling Gary Gensler over the summer before the UFO conferences. Um, he's coming out now and saying, hey, we're going to amend these two bills. We're going to amend these bills we have up here. And it's called the Digital Dollar Pilot Prevention Act. He's literally advancing a bill, which is to prevent the digital dollar. And he specifically says... We've announced a markup, which means a redux of the legislation that will quote, and this is my favorite two words. All you got to do is say this the same way those admirals said it during the UFO hearings. It's a matter of national security, and we are going to strengthen it by preventing the issuance of a central bank digital currency. Again, the federal, he's going to advance a bill that's going to stymie the Federal Reserve and how that's going to become something that we need to make a law and basically prevent them from doing it. Um, that the idea that half of our government is trying to prevent the federal reserve from doing what it's already done is very strange to me. I don't know if you, how you want to unpack that one. Is it that just they think they're if... going to affect change or are they just doing it for the pretense to kind of show off that they're, against i'm gonna go back to that press club meeting with gensler him trying to push the narrative to ai and then i'm gonna go to these closed door meetings that happened in washington dc they brought in you know 50 
leaders from from big companies i'm sure google and apple and i know the you know the aerospace industries association representatives all these these big wigs on capitol hill to talk about ai and its impact on the economy you saw uh a couple of the the senators uh come out and say this is going to have dramatic impacts this was a late friday into the weekend after those meetings they you know take the microphone we've just come out of some of the most important ai meetings of our time this is going to to radically change our economy ai will touch every part of the economy then bring it to the cbdc then you understand why gensler was trying to move the narrative to ai because if you've got cbdc and you got every transaction on the grid tokenized and surveilled by coinbase and the data made available to the fed now you can run ai and not only can you track the money <laughs> but you know everything about everybody's buying habits, purchasing behavior, credit score, forget social credit score. Now I've got real time. How fast do you pay your bills? How often do you open your bill? Let it sit there for 30 days and then pay it on the last due date. I mean, think about the ability for AI to then capture and use that data in some really dystopian way. And I wonder if that's why Gensler, we know at least we thought he was a Bitcoin maxi going back to his days. Maybe he needed to watch this sort of wash through. And now he's saying AI, 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 because everybody understands it. But you put AI in the context of CBDC, and I think it gets pretty dystopian pretty quick. Oh, I lost you. That's a really interesting take. I apologize. I bumped the mute button. I, um, you know, one of the things now, after hearing you say that, it's inter it makes more sense that Gensler, especially at that press club, wanted to shift everything to AI because ultimately, if you're talking about anything that's technical, then the foil or the but what about question will always be, but what about AI's effect on that, right? Like, what's the effect of AI on education, AI on money markets, AI on about? Well, maybe Gensler already gets it because it's a, it's a bit of a foregone conclusion in the sense that I want to say when, you t when the article that we read, it was... Um, on Forbes, it was that while all of these GOP leads are formally coming out and speaking against CBDCs, that said the data point was that more than 100 countries in the world are currently exploring digital versions of their currency. Now, I, I don't know the current total of countries in the world. Is it 180 or 90 now? I forget what the new right. number is. Let's just say it's more than half the world, right? And 11 countries, as of the writing of this article, 11 have already fully implemented a CBDC, including India, Russia, and China. So now the question is, is all, I, I think that all the pomp and all the like circumstance around how, oh, God, the CBDCs are blah, blah, blah. I mean, Gary already knows, guys, like this is what the way the world's moving. Like this is, this is there's no question this is going to happen. It is. It's you about just need the to AI and how you use the it, AI to how, regulate how it. How is the yeah. AI and how are we going to regulate this? Because this is coming hard and fast. And the GOP needs to appeal to their base. And it's a really convenient story, which is, hey, these CBDCs allow the government to watch you really closely. And, of course, no one wants to hear that. And then the Biden administration a year ago, I forget under the, what the context were. It was like from early that's was it last year when it was those first questions on taxes or two years ago that said something like, yeah. have you ever owned or bought a digital asset? You no, know, this, yes or this no. This question doesn't mean anything, but just check the box. Yes or no. We just want to know. But then below that was like, <laughs> you know, in future something somethings, yeah. we'll be looking to like document any purchase that's over $600. 
Remember that? Yep. And there was all these jokes, these memes about like, oh, well, I can get my PlayStation Doge and no one will know. Because <laughs> it's under 600 bucks. But then the real question is, but like what, you know, in 10 years, what is going to be under 600 bucks that's meaningful? Nothing. So they are going to, it's like such a low threshold that, yeah, the surveillance aspect of it is kind of, it's already there, right? And if you're using a credit card and you know that at the end of the year you get your visa statement or your MasterCard, your Discover statement, and it shows you this amazing printout or on your screen of every dollar and penny you spent and where you spent it and shows pie charts and it's like, wow, you made a lot of money in entertainment this year. Or, God, you know, not too much on travel. It gives you like weird AI recommendations as to how to balance your life based on where you spent your money. So to say that you're not currently being surveilled is a lie. You are every time you don't take cold, hard cash out of your pillowcase and go down the street and buy something, which is yeah. what I do all the time. <laughs> so when I think about these cases, the one thing that stands out to me that I think is finally someone from a government agency, and this is from the CFTC, the, Community, the, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, and the head of the CFTC is a woman. Her name is Christy Romero. And she comes out. She's like, hey, everybody, how about we stop arguing about who is in charge? Is it the FBI? Is it the DOJ, the CFTC, the SEC, the other one that you mentioned last time that I didn't even know about? All these different protection agencies. And she said, kind of like in the wake of 9-11, when the government said, wow, we need to have a centralized organization. I can't believe I just said centralized organization. That is going to watch all of the other organizations. We'll call it Homeland Security, the OHS. And that will talk to the CIA and the FBI and the DOJ and the blah, blah, blah. And we'll share our data and we have a data room and you have access and I have access and there will be no more terrorism. That was basically what they said. So now here she comes saying, hey, we need that same data room for crypto. And all you mofos are going to talk all the time and we're going to prevent stuff from happening. She's like, it's happening. So let's prevent the bad stuff from happening. Modernizing investor protection for the digital age. I actually love that take. I mean, she does show up now saying, hey, guys, let's stop arguing. Let's not let's not worry about who's in charge. Well, doesn't that by default make her the adult in the room? Doesn't that make yeah. her in charge? And then, then you read this thing and it straight up says the CFTC commissioner revealed uh, that they are tasked with identifying ways to instill know your customer KYC mm -hmm. and anti money money laundering AML processes into decentralized finance and crypto investment avenues. She says, "quote Federal regulators are just getting started when it comes to AI. A good place to start is governance in making important decisions that impact investors and markets." I mean. This is really, really, again, fascinating to think about what Gensler was out there talking about, trying to steal that narrative. He's under fire now, and now you've got the CFTC, and now she's talking about AI. She's just saying the first thing we should focus on with AI is how AI can be used to regulate these financial markets. For and good. For good, for national security. Mm. Um, I think the CFTC is going to make a strong push here. We're heading into you know middle of September, getting to the end of that fiscal year. I, we haven't even talked about potential government shutdown, but I'm here in D.C. and I will say, I I there are folks preparing for government shutdowns. Uh, that it is somewhat of a foregone conclusion. Do your own research, not financial advice. Um, but folks in D.C. are prepping 
for what looks like even a short potential shutdown. And it seems like, well, why would we need that? Why would we need that last one little reset to tank the markets, to get the regulation together, to force the new budget, new fiscal year, October 1, because, and we've run down the whole list before, we've got the happening coming. We've got four Bitcoin ETF applications, including a new one that, that hit the market. And we've got a government, uh, we've got an election to get to in 2024, and we need this economy buzzing. I mean, it all is starting to make a lot of sense. And I think the CFTC is going to really take a strong push here in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And remember the slip that Gensler made at the Fed Forum was he mentions his stint at the CFTC and then has to rewind and give his entire resume. And guess who got the text message from him to start talking about how we're going to use AI for good? Because if you're not tracing funds, tracing crypto, her words, using the blockchain, using and data analytics tools, then you're not really regulating the whole industry. She wants to bring the holistic approach. Like you said, the adult in the room came in and said, hey, knuckleheads, I want to show you guys the toolkit you should be using. And you with your screwdriver and you with your hammer and you with your all over there, all get together. You need all these tools. Come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, I think you are dead on. And the timing of this too, the shutdown. So if you had to tea leaf this one, you're you're in D.C. What What's the like sky is falling date for the shutdown? Oh, it's October 1st. It's always October 1st. It's September 30th is the end of the fiscal year, people. It is. We are a business. It is a business and the earnings are due. The books close on September 30th. So we've been doing this now for a number of years. And every year we do this. Every year there's the specter of a government shutdown. And I know I have the California hat on um, because from the other side of the coast, it always feels like absolute phony baloney, you know, news. And it's just used to obviously spur someone or some entity to do something the specter of a shutdown and then it gets to the last hour on the 30th of september before and suddenly it doesn't happen it doesn't shut down i think this one do you this think time this is, is the time this time so this time they're going to pull this move effectively the u.s government's going to rug uh -huh. its own government yep. the u.s the u.s economy and its own government to prove a point and the point is going to be what that What's we the need, point? We need regulation around real-time payments. We need uh, some sort of digital currency. We need Bitcoin ETFs to have retail exposure into these new markets. And we need a regulatory body that can protect the consumers. I, I, I mean, at this point, it's September 18th. In order to get, and there was a little bit of FUD just today, I think about, and it's Monday, so just today about there was a bill to to extend the government for thirty days to take it to October thirtieth, and that kind yeah. of flared up, and that that's how they they get a lot of these extensions, and I saw that today. It's already too late. I mean, it would take them two weeks to photocopy the entire budget and get it circulated <laughs> before September thirtieth, let alone a vote on Capitol Hill. Also, I heard, and you start to piece things together about the Biden impeachment news. So you saw um, the uh, the move from the GOP uh, from McCarthy to say that he was going to impeach Biden. This was maybe 10 days ago, and it kind of felt just like normal DC politics. But when you really start to look at it, put it in the context of this government shutdown, he thought he was trading an impeachment and you know, this threat of an impeachment of Biden for votes to get the budget done. 
but he doesn't yeah. have the votes. He doesn't have the support. He didn't have the support from the 48 votes it took him to take that seat. When he took that seat, nobody wanted him in it to begin with. And he's got the, the far right wing of his party now holding him by the nuts. This And, and the, the impeachment wasn't enough of a trade-off. But that wheeling and dealing, you start to now look backwards in the, the timeline. That's why that one was breaking through. He needed to, to let that end of his party know, yeah, we'll go impeach him. I just need you to approve the budget so we avoid this government shutdown. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we will see uh, a All partial right. shutdown. Not not uh, financial Call, advice. Calling but we're, it here. We're, we're calling it. We're calling it here. And you know what? On the same side of somebody's mouth, then you got the nice little FUD story. And by the way, to our listeners, when we say FUD, because we're about to move into the FUD section, we mean fear, <laughs> uncertainty, and doubt. It's an acronym that's popularized. I don't even know if it was a crypto thing or if it's just general news. But um, one of the little FUD stories that hit for me was, oh, you guys are going to try to shut down this government? Well, hey, what did Trump do that time when we said, oh, he, he sued the IRS? Okay, Hunter. How about you sue the IRS for releasing your tax records? <laughs> so now you literally have like both parties of the United States government in lawsuits against the centralized pseudo government institution, which is the IRS. And so my question now is going to be, can you sue the Federal Reserve? Are they suable? Because if, some, if someone can sue them, they probably will or should in the next year. But then it could, I've never heard. But they're all broken up them. into regional banks, right? So then you'd have to just sue one zone at a time, or you'd have to sue maybe Jerome Powell directly. I don't know. The Federal you... Reserve is like eight, nine people or, or entities. They're private. It's like they're – and they don't ever get in trouble. So I'm just wondering, how can you sue them if you don't know their name? Maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to ask Jesse Chang. She's over at Fed Now. Maybe we can sue Fed Now. They have an address. <laughs> I don't even know how we get here, but in terms of FUD, um, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll stick with just a quick one here. Mark Cuban uh, coming out saying he lost like almost a million dollars out of his MetaMask wallet. This one stood out to me. My gut reaction was, oh, shit, Cuban just tanked a million bucks just so he can make a point that we need regulation. That's how I looked at it. I was like, this mm -hmm. guy's looking at this and saying, yep. Yeah, that's that's worth it to me. That's worth the the nine whatever nine hundred thousand dollar loss out of my MetaMask. Or or maybe the other one is he needs a good way to write this thing off as a loss because there wasn't yeah. regulation. Well, and if we're following the timelines we set last week, which is the government already said in their IRS.gov filing, they don't want to know if you bought or sold anything until right. the first of January twenty twenty five which is a year and change from now. So I don't think he's trying to say he wants to take a loss because he can't take the loss. He would have to have this story hit in 2025. So I'm thinking, okay, that would make sense to me. Maybe it's a regulation thing. He likes regulation, I think, but he's a billionaire, so it doesn't matter. But then the, second, the third, which is weird is, it was a wallet that the article noted he hadn't looked at or touched in almost half of a year. And then these guys, and then of course, we all know the talking heads that include guys like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban and uh, the, who are they? The shark tank guys and everybody else who kind of, or, or every YouTuber who basically came from another industry showed up to crypto and started talking like they know everything. Cause Mark Cuban is famous for saying this, I would rather have bananas oh, than yeah. Bitcoin. Then five years later, it's like, I love crypto and Bitcoin and everything. I'm a genius about it. And I love Doge. And I'll let you buy Dallas Mavericks t-shirts and 
Dirk Nowitzki's likes Doge and so do me and blah, 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 blah. And it almost just, I feel like maybe some clever person just decided, I'm so sick of Cuban's BS. I'm just going to hack his dumb wallet and take close to a million bucks that he could literally care less about. Because he probably has 40 of those wallets with a million dollars of just random stuff in it. So anyway, to me, that was one of those, yeah, it felt like it was a good story for the government to have a billionaire lose money to show, see, it's not just you guys who took a bath on Doge. Look at that idiot. He got a billion bucks and he still lost a million dollars. And but, yeah, dumb money in theaters one. now. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's right. Dumb money is coming. It's, it's going to hit real soon, right? End of this month. I, I'm not sure what the release date is, but we got to keep our eye on it. I want to get to one other FUD story that this one broke through for everybody. And when I first saw it, I thought it was fake news. I know you saw it. Everybody listening saw it. It I didn't believe it, but you had alien corpses being shown to the Mexican Congress and a UFO expert testifying under oath this sounds really familiar doesn't it wasn't there wasn't there this thing about the in in the u.s congress the guy testified and it was in our headline about aliens in the u.s and and having all this technology now the mexican congress pulling that same fud card why the heck were they pimping out this et cake looking alien on the floor of the mexican congress what were they hiding yeah i mean that's the question because when the u.s government trots out admirals for a week and claims aliens only visit u.s military bases at night and they leave technology some technology as large as an american football field and yet when anyone asks for evidence all you gotta do is say those two magic words. It's a matter of national security. So I think the Mexican government and maybe the drug cartels took a look at the U.S. and what we covered up over that week. I am pretty sure some very bad people really needed all eyes off of them for a week in Mexico, so that homeboy could trot out a paper mache dummy of an alien that his kid made for a science class and claim that it was authentic and straight faced and under oath, like you say. But we all know that when you're under oath in Congress. It is not illegal to lie because it is not a court of law. Yeah. To me, I think that someone else was doing something that just didn't need a headline. And and I have to follow the money. I think the cartels control that. So that's where I'm going with it, unfortunately. Last one, and I want your take on this because it, it really does seem like a big one. But you've got this new JFK assassination revelation. Uh, I don't even know what to make of this. Why now? What's happening 60 years later? They're saying there it wasn't the lone gunman on the grassy knoll. And, and why now? You know, why now? If I had to guess, because the 60-year anniversary year, someone who knows someone at CNN or HBO or ABC is making a large documentary to rehash all the things that happened. But yeah, a, a Secret Service agent to come out 60 years later as like almost a 90-year-old man and claim that he just picked a bullet out of the seat cushion and then just carried it in his pocket all the way to the hospital and then went and somehow got to visit the what was soon to be a corpse of the president and just sort of left it on the table next to him is a as wild a story to me as someone trotting in a paper mache alien to the Mexican Congress and as someone who's an American swearing in front of Senator McHenry that there was a football field-sized spaceship but you can't see it. 
It is super, super wild. And I mean, it's Vanity Fair nonetheless. And it, it does feel like maybe setting some groundwork here for, you know, the, the, the anniversary, the 60 year anniversary is November 22nd. So now there's precedent when they point back to that article from September when we the story came out. By the way, it is a new book uh, and a new book, Final Witness, to be published in October. Um, you know, he's admitting, he said, uh, uh, never been publicly admitted before. His secret coming to light now. I mean, so talk about in November. What are all of the folks of that generation going to be talking about? They're going to be talking about this. They're not going to be talking about the tanking in the market. They're not going to be talking about the Bitcoin ETFs. They're not going to be talking about the interest rate or the 401ks or the new CBDC or the Fed now or any of that stuff. They're going to be talking about the second gunman on the grassy knoll. I mean, that is definitely introducing some uncertainty of what people have believed for the last 60 years. And if you can unbelieve that, then what else can you unbelieve? Um, I mean, I guess if you're looking to the past all the time, you can never make sense of the present and the future, which is, I think, exactly what they would all like us to be doing. All right, sir. I think uh, we're going to have to leave it there, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Great catching up with you. Talk to you soon. <laughs>